do sit down. We're just about to have some tea. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. Hey old weirdos, the kettle's boiled. Welcome to Tea for Terror, where we take a favourite horror film and dissect it over a nice cup of tea. I'm your host, Andrew Graves, and my guest today is not insane. She's just a working mum. Welcome, <laughs> Erica Bean. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, she's your... supposed to be asleep. But yeah. she's not, obviously, because she didn't obviously get the email that she was supposed to be asleep at this time in the morning. But, you know, it's fine. Well, no, it is. It, it, considering the film we're going to look at later <laughs> on, I think it's uh, entirely appropriate. And uh, I'll be looking forward to uh, um, her, her insights into this uh, <laughs> topic that she's obviously very close to. So, yeah. I, you know, I, obviously this is an audio podcast, but I, I am looking at, the sweetest child ever I've seen <laughs> ever. <laughs> She's got some flaily arms going as well. <laughs> She's very so, flaily. So it kind of seems like an obvious question, but um, given the circumstance, but what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, this. <laughs> if anybody can see, I'm holding up a baby. Uh, yeah, I had a baby. Um, and even like all through my pregnancy, I didn't do a huge amount of sort of writing because you're brain goes on vacation when you're pregnant basically um i'm sure we'll probably talk about that later um i still do a little bit little bits and bobs of writing for film hounds i'm not editing for them anymore but sort of do the odd review mostly so that i can get free discs from the uh distributors which is always nice um and yeah since she's been born i've been trying to go to the cinema with her occasionally which is which is fun um because they do like parent and baby screenings at some cinemas but usually yeah. she just sleeps so i've been going i've actually been going to normal screenings um and she's just been sleeping in the carrier on me the look of horror i got from this old man when i went in to see oppenheimer was hilarious i sort of walked past him and he looked at me and was like why are you here i could see that on his face like what are you doing <laughs> but she just slept through the entire thing you know nuclear explosions going off and she just slept which was great um but yeah, so sitting, feeding and changing nappies and watching lots of films has been what I've mostly been up to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but she just looks so sweet. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, tell her, you, you, you kind of hinted at it there, but what? You want to tell us about the sort of writing side of things uh, in, ter in terms of the sort of magazines and other stuff you do? Um, well, I, I used to sort of edit for them, but Film Hands is, is basically an independent uh, film magazine. Um, we don't we don't pay, unfortunately, because we don't make any money. But we're one of the we've got online sites so with reviews and features and interviews and all sorts of things. And there's a print magazine as well, which is bi-monthly at the moment, I think. It sort of varies depending on how much money they've got, I think, as to how much, how often the magazine actually comes out in print because it costs so much to produce. Um, but generally, because we've got quite good contacts, because we have a lot of people that work in the industry um, like professionally and actually get paid for it, they bring their contacts in and we can get, you know, sort of quite good access to screenings and discs and interviews and things like that. I mean, I, uh, 
uh, one of the things I did do during my pregnancy was I interviewed uh, Mark Caro and uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, Jeunet, which was amazing. Um, wow. I, yeah, um, it was because of the, the 4K release of City of Lost Children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, beforehand, I was like thinking, oh no, are they expecting that I'm going to be able to speak French? I was really terrified that I was going to go into it and they're <laughs> going to be like expecting that I can speak French. And I'm like, I can I can do school French. I can ask to buy a stamp. That's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, no, thankfully they both spoke English, but I kept getting really excited and talking really quickly and having to repeat myself, which was not great. But um, Caro is is amazing like obviously everybody talks about journey as the the bigger name director because of amelie and things like that. Yeah, yeah 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 um in terms of like references to sort of really obscure historical french cinema that he's like drawing stuff from caro is like just dropping all of these things that i've never heard of and i'm just sat there like in awe of his knowledge he's just an amazing person to talk to um and he was sat there in this like old French historical villa that he's in the process of doing up as well and you can see all the sort of stone walls behind him it looked like he was in like an old church it was really cool um but both both of them were just it was like one of those kind of bucket list things to, ch to chat to them really which was really really cool um it's oh, amazing yeah I was like I was amazed that I got to do it um yeah it was probably one of the highlights of my career but obviously not going to be doing any interviews for a little while <laughs> not until she's reliably sleeping <laughs> yeah i did I, I did um i did shane meadows the other day at the broadway because they, they, they were celebrating um the 20th i can't believe the dead man's shoes is 20 20 years old but yeah we did the 20th anniversary of dead man's shoes so shane came to broadway so i interviewed him there so that yeah it was nice that was yeah one of the one of those things even though he's fairly local um it, we've never crossed paths before so it's quite nice doing a q a um so yeah yeah so you do film hounds and uh he's still doing stuff for we belong dead as well and arrow uh I haven't been recently, um, but once sort of, again, once I get a bit of time back, I do want to get back into it because it's, it's nice to sort of try and keep in touch with people and they're such, such nice people to work with, aren't they? And it's, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And it's nice to do something a bit more obscure as well. Cause I mean, film hands is very much like, this is what's coming out now. This is what's relevant. This is what's popular just to try and get, you know, the clicks and the, and, and, you know, traffic on the website and that's fine. That's, you know, that's great. Um, but with Arrow and We Belong Dead, it's nice to sort of randomly be like, I'm going to pick this random obscure film that nobody's seen in like 20 years and write an essay on it just for shits and giggles. And it's, it's, that's great. You know, that's, that's kind of, it's a lot more fun to do it in a way that is like, you know, not yeah. necessarily for financial gain. It's just, it's, it's, it's just the fun. It's the fun bit of it really. Yeah, I'm always amazed for about you know even the stuff I get paid for and but you, you know occasionally you get asked to do stuff and you do stuff and but then I'm always amazed that more people don't say no. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> well, I feel like I'm getting away with something. It's like. Yeah. I, can I do this? And it's the quality you... of your writing, though, isn't it? I think. I think if the quality of your writing is good enough, people will read your work, even if it's about something that they've not seen. 
or that they don't know anything about or they'll you know they'll commission your work if if they don't even if it's a bit more obscure yeah yeah i guess I, it's just it's just nice to be able to do mm. keep this stuff alive i think you know find these like little <laughs> hidden gems uh all over the place and, and highlight those really uh so erica uh what was your entry point into horror and horror films then? What was your first kind of connection? I had to really, really think about this because, like, I sort of, as far as I know, I've always really enjoyed it and always really enjoyed kind of spooky stuff and scary stuff. But when I sort of trace it back, I think it must have been the Are You Afraid of the Dark TV series that used to be on Nickelodeon in the mid-90s. Uh, it was an anthology series um and basically it was a group of teenagers used to meet up in the woods with a bonfire and every night or you know they used to meet up in the night and tell spooky stories to each other and um so there was that and it's weird because I kind of I struggle with anthologies now because it's like you kind of just get into it and then it ends and then you just get into it and it ends but um watching that I used to absolutely love it and if, I think if I was to go back to it now I'd be like well this is basically a uh a vanilla version of this film and this is a vanilla version of this film you know it's sort of you know there was sort of haunted house stories and there's like just all sorts of different things and they're all probably incredibly derivative but I absolutely loved it and I watched every single episode and some of them were genuinely quite creepy um there was also point horror books I mean my my reference point is is very very 90s um but yeah the point horror novels most of them were written by R.L. Stein who also wrote the Goosebumps books yeah 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 and I um I used to nick them from my older sister my sister was like five years older than me and I used to steal them from her and there was one in particular called The Babysitter and it, basically they were all just rip-offs of slasher movies but I mean, considering they, the, the target audience of these novels was supposed to be probably like 13 upwards. I remember one of them where they find a body and this person's got like a, an ice skate embedded in their skull. And it's like, they were so gruesome. They were like really, really violent, really, really gruesome. And then the endings were all kind of Scooby-Doo type affairs of like, oh, it's this person that's been there all along that you never would have suspected. And he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for the meddling kids kind of thing. Um, and, you know, so they were very, very trashy. Um, but yeah, they probably, they were probably my first introduction to like slasher stories, if you know what I mean, that kind of thing before movies. And then my dad showed me Alien when I was about 11. My mum was not impressed. Um, I think, yeah, me and a friend asked my dad for a movie to watch and he's like, hey, let's watch Alien. <laughs> and my mum was not happy. Uh, and then off the back of that, I got into sort of the, some of the classic sci-fi stuff, like the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, particularly the 1978 version, Village uh, of the Damned, War of the Worlds, things like that. And um, again, at a sleepover with a group of friends, uh, probably aged about 11 or 12, and we watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the 78 one, and that end scene where you've got Donald Sutherland and his arm comes up and the, the noise and literally I'm sat there just like grinning because I know what's coming because I've seen it before and all my friends are literally like oh my god and screaming it was the funniest thing um and yeah it's kind of it's always been um for me nicking stuff from other people borrowing stuff from other people and other and when I got to like secondary school my GCSE English teacher used to borrow videos from the library for me 
and let me take them home and watch them. And one of them that he loaned me, he said, right, this has got the searches on it, which you should watch. After the searches is Night of the Living Dead. Now that's an 18, so don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those instructions always work when you're saying that to a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, I used to, um, my, my dad got me a subscription to, uh, to Hot Dog magazine and I used to have it on my desk like when I was working in English. And he'd come over and take my magazine and go and sit and read it during the lesson while we're doing our work and then give it back to me at the end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> but, yeah, it's kind of, it's hard to trace back where I first got into horror because it's always been there. I think because of growing up with like older siblings who, you know, I mean, my mum used to tell my brother off for watching like violent anime when I was like four and be like, no, yeah, it's a yeah. cartoon, it's fine. And and she's like, no, this is not okay. <laughs> Turn it off. I think <laughs> so, I, I, I yeah. used to fairly common, well, maybe not so much now, but it certainly was when I was growing up, you know, my brother, my brother's five years older than me so i was always kind of accessing you know even at 10 i was accessing stuff that a 15 year old was accessing as well yeah. so i and obviously if you're 15 you're accessing stuff that's that's aimed at even older than that you know so um yeah so so i think that that the idea of an older sibling is good but i uh, I, I can kind of echo your alien experience. I, I first saw Alien when I was 11 as well. I think it was the first time it had ever been on um, British television. And it was on really late at night. And my dad was on the night shift and my mum wasn't there. And my, I think my brother had gone across the road. So I was 11 years old. I was completely alone in the house and got all the lights turned off and watching Alien and that's to me that's exactly how you should see alien it should absolutely terrify you the first time i think that uh, it was brilliant um and i think that growing up i i think that not that my parents were particularly liberal or anything like that but i think i was always aware at a very early age that what i was looking at on screen in terms of horror was makeup effects and I grew up reading about horror films, the making of horror films. So, you know, I could get the vicarious thrill from the horror film, but it was, I knew it wasn't real. So I, I never kind of had that, that extra level of fear that a lot of people have had with horror films. So I, I loved it and I've always loved it. Yeah, I mean, I think now it's very different because, I mean, when I was growing up, there was still, I mean, obviously live telly still exists but very few people watch it whereas no. I grew up with live telly and I had a you know a little 13 inch CRT telly in my room and you know I was supposed to be asleep but I wasn't I was watching scary movies in the middle of the night and I don't think I don't think kids have that opportunity so much anymore really to kind of it's all very much everything is curated to an audience and it's like if you watch certain things on like the streaming services, they will then suggest other similar things that you can watch though. So you don't get shown things beyond what you've already watched, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of, you I don't, don't know if I, I, I don't know if I'd agree. I don't think it's curated and not in any meaningful sense. No, no, it, but it's algorithm based, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's categorized, but yeah, I, you know, I, whereas I think, and you know, the, the streaming's 
great if you know what you're looking for streaming is a really brilliant tool to have you know you can access things or that you wouldn't have been able to access straight away when we were younger or when i was younger definitely um but i i think if it you know we said this before but if if it's a point where you're it it's saturated and all and and, and it, you know you can spend two hours on a saturday night trying to find something and wasting two hours uh it, it it's not it's not useful in any sense in that uh, too much choice is the same as no choice i think often um so yeah. it's you know it swings and roundabouts this, this, this stuff about modern how we access films now in a modern way which is brilliant uh but it, it, there's also downsides as well yeah i mean it's i think a lot of kids as well is sort of so much time spent on things like youtube and tiktok and things like that they don't necessarily have that attention span but i mean i don't think that applies to all all of them but i think a lot of them maybe just like well i could sit and watch this thing that i've not seen before or i could watch somebody making stuff on minecraft on youtube and you know <laughs> that's that's how i want to live my life as a seven-year-old child so you know that's yeah fair play to them <laughs> i guess but it's, it's just very different i'm not uh, yeah i mean if uh, as a horror fan if you want to depress yourself for five minutes uh, just just go on to any sort of horror film uh, a decent horror film like a classic horror film and then just read the comments or the reviews underneath oh, and God. it's just you know just <laughs> the exorcist one star i don't understand this at all how is this a horror film <laughs> yeah no it's just daft isn't it <laughs> yeah. Blair Witch Project, one star. There were no monsters in this. Where was the blood? <laughs> Fucking idiots. It's a... <laughs> Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I think um, it's about time to go into the film we're going to look at today. So today we are going to look at, very appropriately enough, Revenge, written, starring and directed by... Alice Lowe. I'm really sorry about your loss, and I know it's been very difficult for you. And at the end of the day, you've got this force of nature now inside you. Baby knows what to do. Baby will tell you what to do. It's just nature's way. I think nature's a bit of an arse, though, don't you? So, Erica, when was the first time you came across this film? Again, I'm really unsure. I do remember seeing the poster when it came out and people talking about it and just being really struck by the design of the poster because you've got this kind of, you know, you've got this pregnant woman who looks very sad and then, but she's also holding a knife and then there's, you know, disco balls and bright colours and all this kind of stuff in the background. And it's like, it just, it was just something that I'd never seen before as a concept because pregnant women are normally so passive in story just in all kinds of storytelling they're just kind of there to be victims and to be um taken care of and to be damseled and all this kind of stuff and yeah i mean it, it, it it's incredibly tragic and you can see that in the in the poster but it's it was just something really really surprising about it and it, it reminded me of you know um you know in juno there's a bit in that where um 
what's his name J- is it jason bateman gives yeah. um, elliot page a comic book and it's like is this a pregnant superhero i've never seen this before and she's just you know wowed by it and it's it's true because you just that there's a there's a particular way of presenting pregnancy which is very much floaty passive femininity and needing caring for and protection and and there is an element of that in the film I think but not not in the same way no I I mean it's it no yeah like you say it's very tragic and you do feel for Ruth you know particularly by the end of the film uh and but I think that um yeah it's I mean I making no you know there's no there's no secret about this and it's not not particularly a spoiler but i uh you know i love this film and and i'm really glad uh you know this, this is the film we're talking about today um because well I, I you know i love it that much I, I wrote a book about it you know so so i'm kind of into it um and i think that one of the things because obviously writing that book i spoke to alice Lowe on a number of occasions you know talking to her about this and uh you know that was one of the key things was, you know, she obviously, for those that don't know, Prevenge deals with um, a serial killer who is also heavily, heavily pregnant, just about to give birth. And Alice Lowe, as writer, um, star and director, she was herself in reality while this film was being made. She was uh, eight or nine months pregnant and um she so she was very heavily very obviously very pregnant while she was watching this and they made it in about 11 days so it's a very sort of quick shoot um but uh, one of the things that she spoke about was this this you know exactly what you're tapping into there that what she wanted to do was was do away to some respects with that very cliched idea of the mother, you know, this this Hollywood idea of the mother either being um, completely evil or being this this overly sort of sugared Disney representation, this 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 uh, this angel type figure or this you know this 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 kind of this archetype, and you know it's very key in in Prevenge. One of the first things we see is ruth murdering the guy who works in the pet shop in the reptile house um and when she does that she's dressed very much traditionally in a way that we've seen mothers present you know that typical idea of the kind of middle class mother presented on screen and um you know and and immediately after she's killed her first victim we have this kind of symbolic she burns those clothes and it was a very sort of a deliberate visual uh thing that that low wanted to put in there to suggest that look this this film is not going to be that i don't want this this typical representation of a mother and i think it's really interesting that she equates you know pregnancy to to some respects as a kind of body horror you know this is something i am not myself when i'm pregnant i am completely behoven to something or someone else you know and i and i think that all of that comes out in this film so yes it's a comedy yes it's a horror yes it's this this and this but i think it's a a deceptively clever film not in a sense that it's 
you know, feminist with a capital F and it's kind of shoving that down your throat. That is there, but I think it's, it's cleverer. It's a much more, it's an intelligent film because it's a much more personal film. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something that happens when you become pregnant. She's supposed to be feeding. Stop it. Stop it. She's supposed to be feeding and she just keeps coming off and looking at me because I'm talking. Um, there's something that happens when you become pregnant where your your body is, is, is just inhabited by this stranger. And then you're told your entire life's going to change. You know, everything that you do and everything that you are is going to change. Your personality is going to change. Like, oh, you'll understand when you have children, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, you can't eat certain things. You can't wear certain things. You, you lose a huge amount of self when you're pregnant because I mean you see the bit when she goes into a shop to get clothes because she's going to that um pub and she's trying on like what are clearly not maternity clothes and she's putting them on and kind of looking in the mirror and it's like what how am I what am I doing with this (laughs) you know because obviously you get used to a certain way of dressing your body and then you kind of you you've got this massive lump in the way and really really related to the bit where she's got like a skirt and she's like do I put it over the bump or do I put it under the bump yeah, and you're like yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That, like which looks which looks better and it's like neither looks better it all looks terrible there is there is nothing you can do with it um and you know as as you kind of people kind of forget that you're a person as well I mean the midwives midwives are odd because they're weirdly infantilizing and patronizing and the way they talk to you is all lovely and sunshine and flowers and you do you see that in the film hugely the way she the way the midwife talks to her is just it is really really grating um and you you when you go and have appointments they go through all their questions you know how are you feeling all this kind of stuff and one of the things they always ask you is everything okay at home and it's like they have these safeguarding questions that they have to ask you and it's like if everything wasn't okay at home would I say anything to this random person that I've probably met twice in my life before if I'm lucky because I probably actually see a different midwife at every appointment anyway and it's all just kind of it's it's just it all feels very superficial and weird and it's and there is it's terrifying and everyone's talking to you about like how what a wonderful thing it is to be having a baby and how glorious it is and it's like no I have to push this thing out of my body I you know I'm carrying this parasite and then I have to expel it from my body and it's gonna hurt a lot (laughs) and yeah, that, that, I, you know what I think they, those scenes that you're talking about, uh, brilliant. I think that they're, they're some of my favourite scenes, and I think that throughout the film we have Ruth when she's out, kind of on a murder spree. She, almost, you know, she uses different disguises. She's wearing masks effectively, but yeah. the only time we really see Ruth, I think, is where she's having those conversations with the midwife. And this so nonplus, yeah, and this this it's nonplus so midwife who, bless her, you know, trying to do her best, but you, and and Ruth is kind of cutting through that bullshit, which is you know the the key line is you know no, it really hurt actually yeah yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. No, this just it just doesn't hurt and it's like no no it really hurt and then I had a bruise from like there to there and it was <laughs> it was like. And she's just like, no, no, this is this is not okay. And then you know, you get people asking you how the baby is as well when you're pregnant. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is just like, I mean, for anybody who's not listened to me on a podcast before, I'm autistic, so sometimes when people talk to me, I don't always get like 
and you know, things that are kind of superficial social constructs just make no sense to me a lot of the time so you know people ask me how the baby is and I'm like I mean as far as I know it's fine but I can't ask it because it's inside me and even if it was outside me it couldn't talk so it's it just seems such a bizarre thing to ask people and it's like how's the baby and it's like I don't know I think a little bit confused maybe I don't know I'm confused so I'm going to assume the baby's confused um and also it's always people that you don't really know that well as well so even if there was a problem you're not going to tell them are you you're just going to be like no everything's fine leave me alone <laughs> and it's the same it's the same with midwives it's it's like and they are lovely and they do, they do, you know, they do an incredible job and, you know, they're fighting against a system that's just, which is just shit because they're not given the resources to do the job they need to do in the slightest. But there's still this kind of superficiality to all of your interactions with them. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just very strange. It's a very strange thing to go through yeah and then the, well i mean obviously there's the the, the classic line isn't there you know n n yeah but na nature's a bit of a cunt don't you think oh big time <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i don't i don't think i've ever said that word before in front of a child <laughs> oh i have <laughs> <laughs> not the older one because he can repeat it back <laughs> yeah um, what, what about, um, what's your thoughts on Alice Lowe? Because obviously, you know, um, we, I mean, a few episodes ago, we looked at the Love Witch and, uh, you know, Anna Biller, who did the Love Witch, she is, you know, incredible sort of workhorse, really, you know, she kind of designed it and wrote it and, I, you know, she, she did bits and, you know, she all did all this, produce it and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and I think, you know, similar sort of thing with Alice Lowe, really. I mean, in just in terms, I mean, she's, she's just finished her new film, I think. But obviously with this, um, she wrote it, directed it and um, starred in it and, and put it out and, and co-edited it as well. Um, and, I, you know, it's all sort of, you know, to fact, and, and the, the, the fact that she did that in sort of, you know, 11 days and she wrote the script really quickly as well. And edited it or helped to edit it or co-edit it or whatever um and had a baby you know around the same time is is, is pretty intense i mean that that's a workload i think you oh know. incredibly it's massive um i mean as i sort of said before when you're pregnant your brain goes on vacation you, you don't function in the same way and you're knackered as well you're so tired and it's like after you have the baby you're suddenly like oh is this what normal feels like it's like literally overnight you have a baby and then the next day you're like oh I have energy I can walk up the stairs without panting it's amazing and um but yeah I mean, so to do that all of that whilst pregnant and actually create something that is coherent is just amazing let alone of the quality that it is to do yeah. it in the time that she did it's just mind-blowing I mean I I didn't really know of Alice Lowe before seeing the film I think I'd seen Sightseers and um Paddington because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. she's got a little cameo in Paddington um, and I think that was pretty much it because I, I was sort of slightly the wrong generation for things like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and things like that I just didn't get exposed to it so yeah my my main exposure to her has been um, Sightseers and, and Prevenge. Well I think it, I mean what, what she's talked about is that you know she did Sightseers obviously that's a Ben Wheatley directed film but she 
co-wrote that and uh, and then obviously starred in that as well um with Steve Oram and she co-wrote it with Steve Oram and uh you know and I think that there were all, there was all these kind of accolades for sightseers you know prizes and awards and things like that and and I think she you know not not in a kind of uh narcissistic sense but I think she she was almost waiting for that to to kind of develop her career and there'd be offers and then even though sightseers got all this kind of these accolades there was nothing it was kind of radio silence and and i think at that point it was like well she got involved with uh, a producer and 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 i think it, th there was some talk at one point of her writing something that you know someone else would star in and i think she was just uh, she got to a point and i'm kind of paraphrasing now but she just got to a point where she said you know fuck that you know if i if i'm gonna get paid like 50p or whatever i'm starring in it and it's gonna be my thing so i think as she is a lovely lovely person she's very open she's very approachable but i think she she knows what she wants and and i think that yes she has to eat and pay the mortgage and do things but i think in terms of the project she develops and i think that the, the stuff she she tends to be involved in we get the full Alice Lowe, you know, she is very much her person. And I think whatever she's in, we can see that's who she is and, and her personality, whatever it is, or that character comes through. And I think she just, she's just got a very, I mean, the, the, the reason I really respond to her is she, she's just got a really kind of off kilter kind of viewpoint you know i don't know if you've ever listened to her radio show she's just radio so cool no, it, no it's, I haven't. it's brilliant it's it's really it's on bbc um sound you can listen to it it's just there i think um it's it's just really surreal and it really you know she writes it all she stars in it and it's just very very odd and but ingenious really she's got this this one of the characters is a uh, this kid this ghost child who is he <laughs> the reason he's a ghost child is because he kept you, 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 I don't you may not remember these but in, in the 70s and 80s you used to get loads of uh, public information films and they were always yeah. like over the top you know sort of kids I get, know of them because kid, of the kid, internet <laughs> gets blinded by fireworks or yeah. gets his kite caught in a pylon and so this ghost child he, he's kind of killed by all these kind of he's like killed in a public information <laughs> film he becomes this ghost child it's really it's ingenious it's really really good i really recommend that stuff but she's just constantly i think and again it, it, she understands that british thing i think in the same way that ben wheatley and other other creatives do she understands what it is to be british she's not trying to do anything if other people from other countries respond to it fair dues but she understands that the, the what is quintessentially british and it's not necessarily the merchant ivory um judy dench idea it's something more much more nuanced and much more weird and strange you know as i such a dryness to it isn't there like yeah. with sort of british like because i mean obviously one of the things we're going to talk about is is comedy and horror combined and it's like when you look at kind of it's not a totally british example but american werewolf in london yeah has got such a british sensibility to it because it's yes it's silly 
but it's really dry and really dark at the same time. And then Dog Soldiers has got the same thing of like, you know, they're in a really horrible, horrible situation. And they kind of, the, the dark bits are handled in such a bleak, nasty, unpleasant way. But then you've got this wit coming through it, which you just don't get in similar stories that are done elsewhere. It, it's It's purely a British thing, I think. I think she... Again, I can't, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she kind of described that 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 feeling as it's almost like it, it's all these things. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings and Monty Python, but it's also Kathy Burke sat on a wall with a fag. You know, it's all those things <laughs> oh, yeah. thrown into it. You know, everything. It's the kitchen sink. But you know, I and I I described it in the past as being to try and sum it up as that that British horror comedy sensibility it's almost it's like taking an acid tab but dropping it into a mug of builder's tea you're insane i am a working mother okay so yeah um prevenge um it, i think it's a really good example of a 21st century horror film um and we'll get to the kind of horror and we'll get to the sort of uh the darker side of this film and i think because i think it is you know as we mentioned i think it's quite a sad film in a lot of ways um but also you know it's piss funny as well it's got some really good moments of comedy so um and a lot of those moments of comedy are kind of juxtaposed against this these horrible acts of violence and i think that's what makes the comedy work i think so and i think it's worth talking about the sort of victims uh her victims because then they are you know she, i think she could have she's you know she could have done this thing of being sort of overly kind of um not not overly but it just being a kind of feminist piece for want of a better term but it's it, it it's very much yeah she does touch upon that absolutely that is inherent but it's also uh it, it, in terms of the victims they are they are mostly fairly repellent people aren't they i mean you know with Big some time. you know i'm not saying they all deserve to die but yes yeah, so, i mean certainly with someone like dj dan and and you know and, and the, re the 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 reptile house guy uh, they're just they're they are horror and and but also you know she doesn't um she doesn't give women an, e an easy go at all you know and the the uh, one of the key scenes is the um you know the the person that kate dickey plays who's 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 interviewing her and she's just a monster and she's just an unfeeling sort of horrible sort of uh, hr type who just doesn't give a monkeys and can't understand what ruth might be going through or other people might be going through and and that you know and the comedy comes i guess from the fact that she the way she kills that character is to smash her head against this glass table it's this kind of this parody it's the glass of the ceiling, glass isn't it? ceiling. Yeah, yeah 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 it, it's really cleverly done i think yeah uh, <laughs> spinning the, the, the chair around yeah 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 but there are some <laughs> genius I, but it's beautifully done it is very funny and i think you know we'll get into that but I, but i love the fact that the end of those scenes when she's killed who she needs to kill she, she always gives them a little kiss and you know there's mm. this this tenderness there you know when she kills dj dan in the most horrific way imaginable um but very sort of appropriate to how he's been as a sort of sex pest really um the 
but you know she makes sure she she washes her his mum's clothes and he, she puts her mum into bed there is this yeah. so I, all of these things about her rejecting this idea of motherhood that is definitely you know this is a new version of a, a mother we've not seen before but the she can't completely deny the tenderness that 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 mothering instinct but you know as i said the comedy so how would you what you know what kind of bits stand out for you comedy wise what because there are a couple of moments for me that make me spit my tea out it's, it's funny um well, i watched it the other day the bit that I, and i keep going back to it and remember it and every time i picture it i just i just start laughing in my head again um it's when she throws the drink in that guy's face in the bar. I was just going to say that. That's, that's one of my faces. It's just, just a brilliant. genius. <laughs> it's such a daft joke, but it's brilliant. It's so funny. And, like, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's an awkward funny, isn't it, a lot of it? And it's and I think the, the bits with the midwife are kind of funny. Again, the bit with the bruise on the arm and the blood test that I said about earlier, that makes me laugh because it's just, like, well, no, you're wrong, aren't you? And it's just, it's so silly, but yeah, it's very relatable. And it's just all sorts, of, it's just kind of like tone of silliness, but silliness combined with horribleness kind of weaved all the way through it. Just the tone of it is is funny all the way through i think i think when she gets stuck in the dog flap as well i think that's just, <laughs> just, just can't get a bump out and uh, about that I think, bit. and i think that she's uh but i think she you know so yeah that is funny but i think throughout the film again i'm i'm putting on me kind of uh um university lecturer film studies hat on now but there is there are all these scenes where she's emerging out of some sort of aperture so it, there are these kind of birthing scenes um, throughout yeah. the film so the dog flap the tunnel all these kind of stuff it is all kind of mirroring what what's about to happen to her and her body and her baby so you know it's clever but i think yeah the, the comedy um yeah I, I think yeah again we get this with the midwife it's just the comedy comes and the tragedy of it, because I think there's quite a lot of sadness in those scenes as well. But the comedy comes from the fact that it is that typical idea of, because I think not not that it's heavy handed at all. I'm not suggesting this is this film's about class war or anything like that. But there is a kind of there is a feeling of the of you know middle classes not really understanding the experience of more working class people and that misunderstanding it comes out in those conversations and there is this kind of very liberal sort of middle class wrapped in cotton wool you know let's you know baby knows best and it's like fuck what are you talking about you know what yeah. you don't understand this and and you just you, you don't know but you kind of pick up you, you you kind of think that well this midwife clearly hasn't got children or she's desperately wanting yeah, children but can't definitely. have children you know is something um weird about that but yeah which, which you know so by um but i think in terms of the way the also the kind of comedy in a sort of looser sense comes from the the setup of how she kills people as well there's something very 
um even though it's kind of it's more believable and it's more realistic um and it's more kind of 21st century there's a lot about revenge i think which echoes those kind of aip vincent price films that were made in britain uh, you know things like dr fibes and theater of blood they they it's, it's and you know you can imagine it, it it's almost like a very british grounded version of seven you know this idea of taking this revenge on these people um but you know because <laughs> i mean yeah dj dan and the reptile house guy and the, the, oh, they're the repulsive HR aren't they they're horrible but yeah you kind of feel that obviously some of those characters she does away with almost become more they are real but they become more sort of symbols of something the caricatures you know? aren't they yeah in a yeah way. i mean the fitness uh type i mean it, it's almost she becomes so uh, funny <laughs> she becomes like, like a symbol of this um you've got to have a perfect body even though you've just given birth it's almost like that she's yeah. throwing that into her face but it's just like the way that oh yeah it's Gemma Whelan isn't it and she's yeah. like um, yeah, and you forget that she ends up in Game of Thrones and stuff and stuff yeah like but she's she's so like shocked by what's going on in that scene she's like what you know, are you doing? You've got, <laughs> you've got this coming at her with like a knife or whatever it is I can't remember and she's just like what's going on she's just so like shocked by this woman who's like basically fraud frauded her way into her house and then refusing to leave and she's just like it's just so absurd and so funny um but yeah i mean the god the guy the guy in the the reptile house is again i think it's an autism thing but i don't always pick up on all the subtext it takes me a couple of watches and um but the bit when he's pointing at the snake and saying you know that's my great big snake and it's like oh my god just just you just want him you just wanted to kill him quicker because he's just so horrible <laughs> mm. and yeah it, it's just gross and then you've got tom davis and 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 you know the dj guy and he throws up in his wig and then goes and kisses her again and it's just oh it's just gross and yeah all the way through you're kind of she's killing people that pretty much deserve it to an extent and it's it but she's she's killing that kind of symbolism isn't she that kind of that trend and that kind of you know that that societal thing of you know this is how men treat women and this is how sometimes women treat women especially with Kate Dickey's character and it's like there, there's been studies into you know what happens when mothers go back to work and there's there's loads and loads of evidence that actually women that have had children and go back are more productive and more efficient because they've had to be you know they spent a year at home trying to do everything whilst having a small child attached to them and you end up more efficient and quicker working and you know harder working but there's still this kind of stereotype of like well you know i i chose my career i made the choice to have a job and to follow my career rather than you know doing this frivolous thing of having children and it's like just shut up <laughs> just shut up and go away because it's bullshit it's complete bullshit but it still proliferates doesn't it proliferates that is a word <laughs> yeah. no I no I think you're right and I think it's uh yeah yeah I, I don't 
particularly feel for any of the victims at all. You know, I don't. I don't think she. I don't think she's necessary. I'm not suggesting in reality people go out mercilessly slaughtering people. No, uh, I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> I just want to point out, despite <laughs> what people have told me. Um, they, but yeah, it, it, it's it's. But it's. I I think there's more sympathy with Ruth than there would be, say. Uh, for the guy in falling down. I mean, falling down is very much, you know, there are obvious victims within that which you can, most people can empathize with. But then he gets slightly fascistic in his, 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 his nature. And, and, you know, so I think sometimes if you're, you know, if you're backing someone like the guy in falling down, I think, you know, things have gone slightly wrong in your life yeah. somewhere too many you know. people do don't they <laughs> yeah it's yeah and the people who misunderstand that film it frustrates me it, it, mm. and it worries me as well <laughs> <laughs> but i think you know um but i mean obviously this 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 kind of deals with this age-old sort of horror trope really and lots of other tro tropes as well and it kind of subverts those. So it, it, it subverts the slasher film, absolutely. And I think it, in some ways, it adds to and subverts the whole kind of monstrous child sort of phenomena. So, you know, obviously we've got things like The Omen and Exorcist and all those kind of films and Village of the Damned. And I think this is partly, you know, um, part and parcel of that. Um, but I think the key difference, particularly with something like Village of the Damned and say something like Prevenge, in Prevenge, the woman, Ruth, has full agency. Whereas something like Village of the Damned, which I love, by the way, I think is a brilliant film uh, and a great book by John Wyndham. Um, and John Wyndham actually was very progressive in a lot of his work in terms of pushing sort of stronger female characters however with something like the midwitch cookies and the subsequent 1960s film you know the women are given very little or no agency at all which was kind of derogueur for the time but you know they are kind of they are the ones that are impregnated and yet they have no say in how the men are going to deal with this situation badly you know it's 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 it, uh, but so i think really it's 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 giving full agency to someone who is going through that and and also it's it's not you know ruth is kind of possibly probably uh an unreliable narrator we've only got her say that this child is kind of possessing her you know she she could be completely making this up and and that's all also the point as well she realizes that at the end doesn't she yeah. that you know the baby's just it's just you're just a baby you're just a yeah, baby yeah. and it's um i think it also kind of subverts the way even motherhood when you've got a mother who is empowered is represented in film i mean the obvious examples you know when you you ask for sort of strong female characters in films the two people you get are ellen ripley and sarah connor and obviously they're, they're total cliches. Everybody says them because, you know, we don't, we're not allowed any other strong characters. But anyway, um, it's like though the way those women are represented is they're kind of almost these faultless kind of strong, empowered, like Mary Sue type characters where they don't have, you know, they're not flawed. They're just completely focused on selflessly protecting this child that, 
that they've been presented with and and a lot of the time forced upon them as well because I mean Sarah Connor is obviously you know ends up pregnant after a one-night stand essentially is what happens and then you've got um Ripley loses her child in in Aliens and then adopts another child so it's like whereas whereas Ruth she's her she's become pregnant through a relationship granted a relationship that's probably on the rocks is is what's suggested by one of the other characters you know that the that, and there's this suggestion there that her mental health has never been very good and you can't help wondering if maybe through the pregnancy she's had to come off the medication that she was on or something like that which is you know made all these symptoms worse um but it it subverts that because it's there's this kind of she's you know the motherhood is is central to it you know she's she's a mother character but she's not this strong fierce protective warrior she's basically scrambling for some kind of sense of what's happened to her and trying and, and you know desperately trying to make sense of it and and to kind of get back to to the middle you know she's trying to get back to some kind of stability and normality and the only way she can see to do that is to punish the people that took that normality away from her yeah i, I mean i think yeah and i think that with um you know just getting back to ripley a second i think that's interesting because like what you said i think that she did kind of as the as the franchise progressed she did kind of become this kind of mary sue type character but i think if you go back to the original film i think that's when the character is at the strongest because it is mm. she is a, a strong female character before that became a kind of cliche she's strong in that she deals with the situation she's been thrown with which doesn't mean she isn't absolutely terrified as anybody would be who was sane you would be terrified in that situation and she gets things wrong and she's not infallible but she is forced into a terrible nightmare and she is able to cope with that but they show us the whole and thanks to sigourney weaver's great acting as well we show we see the whole gamut of emotions there uh, mm. but 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 in terms of that kind of almost that mothering thing she because obviously in Alien, you've got all those kind of birthing references to the sort of vaginal sort of tubes and, and you know, all kind of... I mean, there's, um, a, there's a rape metaphor there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. Massive yeah. rape metaphor there. Yeah, I mean, uh, when, when the android kind of stuffs, you know, he tries to choke her and he tries to choke her on copies of, you know, illicit sort of pornographic magazines. Mm. And when the android gets sort of you know his head cut off or whatever pouring out his mouth is very sort of sperm like you know there's all these kind of it's, it's you can get very freudian with alien but um <laughs> but i think with um prevenge and i think ruth you know like like you said i think it's not ruth is strong but she's it strong as in her personality and and, and this willful desire to take this revenge but she's obviously flawed and she's obviously incredibly fragile and we get hints we don't know but like you said you know we can probably imagine she has maybe had some sort of breakdown or she's suffering some sort of mental health disorder 
We don't know. I mean, but it, it's kind of heavily implied and we don't know what Ruth's backstory is necessarily other than the bits we are told through other characters. But I, I think that the film is, I think it's a really good example of a film and, and people taking me to task about this, but I, I do think it's a really good example of a film um, using um, imagery and symbolism and you know people kind of overdo it but I don't think it's necessarily overdone in this I just think it's quite clever I mean as mentioned before you've got all these kind of um, scenes where Ruth is emerging or from tunnels or the, the dog flap or whatever you know the, the, this idea of birthing but also that's extended all the way through you know the whole idea of um, the her her partner being killed because someone cuts the rope. I mean, that's obviously a very umbilical type image, you know, that's this whole idea of cutting the rope and, and become separated from who you are, I guess, or who you think you are and, and all of these kind of things in there. Uh, and, but I think it's, there's a lot of stuff, um, because it was made on the fly, there's certain things that are sort of accidental as well. Um, you know the the whole Halloween where she dresses up. Uh, you know the guy she meets in the tunnel who's dressed from head to toe, this weird sort of guy, zombie guy. That just was a complete, random guy. Yeah, it was yeah. just 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 turned up. You know, so it was about incorporating, and that's a brilliant scene when they when they're sort of filming that. It's just you know it just happened to be Halloween and everybody's out, and it's just just a really nice. Uh, the fact that she can just walk through the streets with a knife in her hand because it's Halloween. Yeah, though, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it, and it feeling you know very natural as well, rather than being kind of the staged thing that you tend to get yeah. in other films. It felt it felt really natural. Yeah. Um. So, what do you think about um? Because this is you know obviously I mentioned before this is very much a twenty first century horror film. I think it's a great example of that. Um, and I, you know, as I've said numerous times on this podcast, I'm a big advocate of 21st century horror, and I think we're in, we're in a kind of exciting place with it. And I think some ways, horror in its widest sense is one of the most progressive genres. I think in some ways, other genres are kind of they don't really know what to do with the whole sort of woke uh, sort of uh, you know um, this idea of the 21st century and us being. God, God forbid, being sort of more enlightened human beings. Um, and I think there's a lot of films that don't seem to, but I think horror is, it, it seems to embrace what the 21st century is and its technology and its attitudes. And I, I think a lot of time, yeah, it's got faults. It's, I'm not saying every horror film, there are terrible horror films still being made, but I think in general, they understand you know, if you look at someone like Jordan Peele and, and, and other directors, there is this idea to, to embrace what's happening in the 21st century. And we're not regressive anymore, because as much as I love 20th 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 century horror films, you know, they were incredibly white and not not particularly progressive in terms of attitudes a lot of the time, particularly with women and stuff like that. But I think it's changing. It's exciting. So um this very much fits into that and i'm just wondering what your kind of take on sort of more recent 21st century horror films are i think like you kind of you can see that more people are getting a voice i think than than the yeah. usual kind of box you know it's you, horror films aren't just being produced by straight white men anymore you've got you know you've got a lot more 
queer people and women and and you know and different races and all sorts of things which is which is great because it means that you get these different perspectives on things and you know we've moved on from what we were saying before about how mothers are portrayed in a certain way and you know so we get films like Revenge and a, I mean a, an obvious sort of companion piece to that would be something like The Babadook yeah. where you've got a very similar kind of situation where there's this rift between the mother and the child because of the death of the partner and it's like the partner was the person keeping the mother stable basically and that with that partner gone she can't cope and so you and I mean, it goes back a little bit more, but things like Monster as well. You've got this really conflicted serial killer character it's about Eileen Warnos, and it's it is a horror film and it's a slasher film, but it also has this. I mean, I don't even know if it's twenty first century or twentieth century. It might be very late nineties, but it's still got that kind of really conflicted morality to it, where you you sympathize with her and you feel sorry for her despite her doing these horrible things. And there's been a, a really good trend of films like that. I mean, I've got a whole list of them in front of me, got Under the Shadow, Censor, Revenge, Let the Right One In, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. There's so many and it's so rich and it's just, it's so different to anything that we got earlier than that, just purely through people being given a voice and I mean, there's also uh, there's also this kind of element to it where things are not as tame as they used to be, and it's like I think a lot of the time with with men, especially if they were writing or anything about things that are relating to women, there's this whole kind of like cringe and maybe being a little bit squeamish about going into detail about things like birth yeah, yeah. and you know things that affect women's bodies not to go into too much detail you know women are not scared of blood because we come across blood as part of our lives all the time you know that whole thing that that, that you know sometimes some some men have this condition where the sight of blood makes them faint can you imagine if a woman had that it, it just wouldn't it wouldn't they, they just wouldn't ever be able to leave the house it'd be ridiculous and so some of the stuff that I've seen in films that are written and directed by women are some of the nastiest, most unpleasant things I've ever seen on screen. I mean, uh, Nightingale. Have you seen The Nightingale? By no, I, I, it, again, it's on my list and people keep saying I should watch that, but I'm kind of preparing is, myself for it. I'm... It's incredible, but it's incredibly bleak as well. It's really unpleasant and bleak. And there's there's a scene in that where basically somebody just throws a baby against a wall and it's like... It's like, I mean, it's not done graphically. No, no, no. You don't see, you know, you don't see the head cave in, but it's it's really strongly implied that the baby's been killed by being thrown against a wall and it's really horrible. But I mean, you can assume, I mean, as, as, a, as a mother, I can assume that that is basically Jennifer Kent taking the intrusive thoughts that people get around their children you know there's there's a huge amount of sort of hormonal stuff that happens when you have a baby and part of that you know there's a natural level of the base level of anxiety that you live in as a parent that you just can't get away from and I don't know if it affects fathers in the same way but for me I never felt as terrified of like just everything as when I had a baby and it's like you constantly you're constantly um what's the word risk assessing you're constantly risk assessing and you're picturing if i do this then this will happen and then my baby will die and this will happen yeah, and my yeah, baby yeah. will die yeah. and it's like it's it's a natural part of being a mother and it's it's obviously it makes perfect sense but it's horrific it's not fun 
and you can you can understand that you know when when women are writing stories they're putting these things in into their stories and it's been weaved in there but in the same breath you also get this kind of there's, there's other other films that have been made that have taken a more kind of playful approach to that whole kind of feminist and progressive things like trick or treat have you seen that yeah 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 it's it's so much fun but the bit that there's because it's again that's an anthology thing but the the sequence with the um with anna paquin and the werewolves is ridiculous and hilarious but so playful but i can't imagine a film like that being made 20 years earlier it just i don't know if it would have been made in the same way yeah i think i think you're right i think i think you know uh women sort of writers directors or whatever in terms particularly in terms of horror or or, or even on the fringes of horror there is once they're being allowed well not allowed you know once once they're given they have been empowered to do this stuff i think we we see a different kind of thing i you know i and i think like you said it can be kind of more horrific in a ways because it, it's dealing with stuff that men um for, for a lot of time don't want to think about or don't want to contemplate you know um i and i you know if you, you I, I would you know i'd you know if you look at An- angela carter her writing i mean that's it's full of things i i love angela carter um i've just read um, Nights of the Circus by Angela Carter, and it, it's kind of horrific, but it's brilliant as well, and it, and it's it's amazing. And I think you know if you, if you look at things like obviously Company of Wolves, which was um, you know based very much on Angela Carter's writing, um, you know that is very much dealing with the, a lot of those issues and in in a very stylized way. But but also then you've got Ginger Snaps, which is kind of very much. Uh, it's a brilliant sort of take on that whole whole kind of puberty and and this this you know the, the hormones going all over the place obviously mm. you know it's linking into that and all this kind of stuff and it's not afraid to sort of you know it it, it it's out there and it, it's putting it out there in your face and and it's not done in a kind of it's, it's not done in a crude way but it's done in a way that is 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 you know it's, it's bleak and it's it's not presented as cool or or kind of that. it's just casual isn't it yeah, it's just yeah, it's yeah. just there it's just there and it's just part of life which i think is is accurate really to how to how you know different minorities and that includes women experience life it's like um you know you're talking about um get out and and jordan peele's films and it's you know that whole kind of there's subtext in there that you might not understand if you haven't experienced it, I think, because it's it's just weaved into it so casually. It's not, you know, it's not um, preachy and it's not blatant. It's just it's just there. It's just part of the thread of what makes the story work. And so it's done in a really different way to something like, you know, obviously older films that address things like racism. A time to kill something like that or you know things that have a, a, a more of a white savior narrative and you know things like that it's 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 just handled in a completely different way in a way that's organic and casual and weaved through the story so it's part of you know the what ties the story together rather than being the story itself if that makes sense yeah i i think it's just that that horror films like I said, this, this bad horror film still being made. Mm. I'm not saying every single horror film is great because it's not. But I think that horror 
is a lot of the time more progressive in the i think as i said you know a lot of hollywood is really struggling what to do with this new world they've been presented with and how how do they represent or um you know how do they put queer people on screen how do they do this how do they do and a lot of time you get with i think with something like marvel films which you know can be very entertaining don't get me wrong there's some good marvel stuff out there but i think it's very you know to use it as an example it's almost they they want to highlight this stuff in a very very superficial way and it's there on the surface isn't it yeah and i think it's it's it, it's odd that you get a lot of these twattish fanboys who are attacking Marvel for being overly woke. And you just think, well, they're not woke at all, really. Look who's in charge. Look who's running the show. It's not woke. It's not woke enough. You know, no. surface level. It's not, you know, if they have any gay characters in there, they're easily editable out because they can sell that to the Chinese market. Who <laughs> people you know it's so cynical isn't it it is it's very cynical and yet i think horror which is kind of a lot of time pushed underground and it's still it's still dealt with in those kind of sniffy terms you know it's kind of like you know oh this is a this is a psychological thriller no it's a fucking horror film and get over <laughs> it it's a horror film and it's a brilliantly you know and i i but i say so i think horror because there's not necessarily um you know the spotlight doesn't fall on horror as much as say a marvel film production they can do things you can get someone like jordan peele doing really interesting stuff and however because he's not he's not interested in tokenism or saying the right thing for the sake of it he can weave in these ideas and these really intelligent sort of nuanced sort of that touch on politics and societal issues and all this stuff is there absolutely inherent in his films yet because he's a brilliant filmmaker he can offer you a really entertaining horror film or science fiction film which if you have no interest in politics or societal issues whatsoever you can still enjoy but it is there it it I, I, and, and there's nothing token about it is absolutely there and he absolutely means it and I think that is a difference with a lot of horror. It can do things that other films are really finding difficulty with presenting in, in, a, in a decent or relatable way. That's the difference with like having people, you know, people at the, at the, at the meetings that, have, that are those minorities. It's the difference between having those people at the top making the decisions and writing the stories compared to you know a middle class white guy yeah. who is basically saying oh we need to include a black man in the story and then you know a gay woman and a trans character and all this kind of stuff and you know it as you say it becomes as we said it becomes tokenism and it's the way it's handled is done completely differently when it's done by the people that they are actually writing about yeah if, if you get someone someone who, who grew up uh, in an upper middle class family and they they try and do something about a council estate it, it shows <laughs> straight away you can't do that you should i'm not saying you can't use your imagination and never touch something that you've not personally been involved in of course you can do stuff but you need to work with people who understand that world and you need to talk to people you can't just sit there in your bubble and expect to understand everything and, and just because you're a director or a writer and you suddenly 
you're not godlike. You still got to do your research. You still got to understand stuff. So I think I, I think a lot of people involved in horror, especially, they are very very passionate about what they do and they want to put out a decent product. Um, yeah. So I th I, I think there, there's a lot of scope in horror that other films can't get away with and and that's the beauty of it it's it's kind of a lot of it's still underground so you can still do stuff or not i don't mean underground underground obviously you can access it but it's not it's not pushed or sold uh, unless it's like the the latest halloween film in the same way that a marvel film or disney film or whatever would i was gonna say it's not just i mean it's not it's not just horror as well because you get like one thing that I noticed a little while ago when I, when you watch rom-coms is that all the characters have amazing jobs and you think like how are these people having time to like go out and do stuff but it's because the people writing the films have amazing jobs therefore that's what they write about then you look at someone like John Hughes who writes about more sort of working class people working class families and it gives them this more kind of realistic factor to them and it's, it's it you know so it, it goes beyond stories that are just just horror you can apply it to other genres as well it's just it just seems to be rarer i think in other genres because they tend to just stick to the format that they know sells mm. well um uh, it, i just need to say uh if you can um follow us on facebook um x and stuff like that and instagram and all that kind of stuff and listen to us wherever you find your podcast and please do please buy my book about revenge which you can order through liverpool university press at a reasonable price i'm sure you can get it from amazon and waterstones and stuff like that uh it just remains for me to say thank you thank you thank you to my guests <laughs> erica bean and sorry what's your daughter's name Riley. Riley. Erica Bean and Riley. There you go. Thanks for coming <laughs> on, Erica. You're very welcome. It's brilliant. Really, really good. Really good to see you again and a fantastic uh, conversation. So thank you very much. Oh, so remember to call round next time. Make yourself at home. You look like you're dying for a nice cup of tea for And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future.